The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. I'm your host, Vic Jaramie, uh, and I'm here with my producer, Ricky Herrera. Good Monday morning, Ricky. Good morning, Vic. How's everything, man? Um, life's good, sometimes challenging. Most of it good. Glad to be here talking about uh, what's happening and uh, news headlines. Lots, uh, lots of things to talk about. Let's uh, do it. I, I thought we'd start with uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, someone I was a fan of and voted for uh, until, I don't know, several years ago, she decided to sort of go toward the, the middle and then become more of a right. I'm uh, not really sure what she was doing. And then her sort of apathy and uh, lack of work has been um, just not been good. I've, I've not been a fan of hers for the last few years. Uh, I reached out to her when uh, Azerbaijan attacked and invaded the Republic of Artsakh. Her response was... Uh, just terrible, just really tone deaf and terrible. So I wrote an article about it. But anyways, she is, uh, you know, she is uh, finally not seeking her seventh term. So she's going to vacate her seat. And of course, we know that Congressman Schiff and Congresswoman Katie Porter um, and Congresswoman Barbara Lee are just the three of the candidates uh, running for that Senate seat. Uh, but now she, there are calls for her to just resign now and just to step down because uh, she's really holding up uh, a lot of things. Uh, now her absence from Washington, D.C. Uh, and her role in the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, has played a role in slowing down the like the information process for judicial nominees. She has uh, missed 60 of the 82 Senate votes. Um taken in just 2023 so you know it's uh it's just not good you know we we've got to know when to step down and so that's what's going on with uh senator diane feinstein yeah we wish her the best uh she's dealing with uh she's on leave from the senate because she is dealing with a severe case of sh of shingles she is 89 years old and i condemn people who who judge people for their age and stuff. But I think this is a completely different territory when we're talking about representatives. And I just think it's impo important to, to recognize that that is clearly not what this conversation is about Absolutely. for anyone who might be <laughs> making that uh, connection. And even for, um, like you said, the reports of Democrats calling for her to resign. It's, it's really just about what she has been able to do and to not do. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of elected office, um, I'm Really pleased to hear that uh, State Commissioner Sam Kabushian, who I've interviewed on this show, is running for LA City Council District 2, which is sort of East San Fernando Valley. Um, so that's a great thing. Uh, Commissioner um, Kabushian is now on uh, Mayor Karen Bass's transitional team. 
and uh, you know he's a he's a fierce fierce uh, public servant, community leader, organizer, uh, very progressive, and this is really good for uh, for LA. So I'm just really pleased to uh, to uh, announce that. I think it's important to shout out uh, people that uh, make a difference. And uh, for anyone interested in listening to uh, Sam's interview um, Vic uh, had with him earlier in the, the year, uh, you can go to the KPFK archives and check out that interview. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about Trump and this sort of uh, post being arraigned <laughs> that, that surge in donations. I just like I've been saying for weeks, I think his base, I did not think the indictment would affect the way his base views him. And now there are reports that, um, well, his campaign is reporting that funds raised for his campaign have actually surged post-indictment. I'll ask you, Vic, does this surprise you? No, not at all. Of course not. You know, I've always said he has a strong base, uh, these people who will blindly follow him no matter what. And so this indictment did exactly what I thought it was going to do with his base, which is uh, make him look like a victim, like there's some sort of a lynching going on. There's some sort of a vendetta, uh, which is absurd. Of course, um, it was justice. You know, he needs to be uh, held accountable for so much more than what he's being accountable now. But it's, you know, totally it's really nothing to be surprised by. That so here he would sort of say, oh, he's let's help him even more now because, oh, he's such a victim. You know, let's get him to be president again. I think the not issue, but is what is interesting. So in the first quarter of 2023, through a joint fundraising uh, committee and his campaign, he raised a combined total of 18.8 million in the first quarter of 2023. Since Two weeks after the indictment, the campaign is reporting that they've raised $15.4 million. So I think those numbers are very interesting because it's one thing if you know he was indicted and we see the same flow of donations to his campaign. If, but for a surge to happen, I think is what, what is interesting. Yeah, again, I'm not surprised. I, this is, this is uh, what I expected. Uh, that they, you know, there's always a counter reaction, right? There's a counter movement. If the movement was to finally bring him to justice and at least indict him, there's going to be a counter push. And the counter push is his base saying, oh, let's give more money so that he can get reelected and make, and I quote, <laughs> America great again. So, yeah, it's just, uh, it's typical. You know, it's typical Trump. And of course, his his campaign is looking for every any opportunity to have some sort of a positive news because there's so much negative news around him. So this is what they're going to talk about. They, they focus on this and say, let's make this the talking point. Let's sort of uh, make this a big deal and uh, have a, a good PR damage control uh, with uh, with this news. So it's, uh, you know, it's classic Trump. He never ceases to amaze me. And, you know, speaking of uh, another politician surrounded by negativity, George you Santos. Trump, you Trump Jr., like the real Trump Jr.? Yeah. George Santos announced his re-election, his campaign he, uh, to raise money. And this guy has some gall. 
despite the investigations, despite the calls to resign and stuff, he... How about the plethora of lies? Lies yeah. about pretty much everything. I mean, the guy's identity is almost entirely fake. The ego on this man, I don't think we've ever seen anything like it. Yeah, we have. And he's called Trump. I think Santos is uh, sort of, I mean, I wonder if Santos like has some secret book of studying Trump and see what he did to be president and just following this sort of this dogma of let's just lie about everything. And, you know, there's always enough people that will believe me and will just, you know, push forward. And then you can always sort of deny it later. And just even if it's raining, you can say, oh, no, this isn't rain. A, a bird just came and spit on my face. You know, this is sort of absurd counter reality that they live in, whether it's Trump or or Santos. Uh, but I have more faith in uh, people of New York. New Yorkers are smart and they were duped in voting for him. They didn't know a lot of uh, what we know now. So I'm never say never, but I just don't see that um, New Yorkers will reelect. But, you know, he's, uh, you know, as you said, he's shameless and he just pushes forward. I'll be the first to say Trump created some pretty bizarre narratives around lies. And for anyone interested, I mean, you can go back into some of his real estate dealings and some of the lawsuits and just terrible stuff before he even got into politics. As far back um, as late 70s. People talking about their experience living on one of his properties and, and stuff like that. Just horrible, horrible stuff. But with George Santos, the Holocaust, for instance, I mean, this is just kind of next level stuff to me. Yeah. Just to clarify for people listening, uh, I think you're referring to his claim that his grandmother was a Holocaust survivor, which ended up not being true. No one has been able to verify that. Uh, that's what you're talking about, correct? Yes, and to try to exploit something so tragic. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. It's, and, and that's all I'm saying is we haven't seen anything like this. Yeah, you can't you can't disrespect the uh, memory of the victims of the Holocaust and the survivors by just being so cavalier about it to forward your agenda, your political agenda, and your career. He's just shameless. It's just unbelievable. Anyways, thank you for humoring me, Vic. We are in Fundrive, but before we talk about that, let's talk about something really cool and big that's coming up with KPFK. Yeah, on Thursday, this Thursday, uh, KPFK presents uh, the screening of my documentary feature film, Motherland, uh, which is about the 2020 uh, invasion of Artsakh by Azerbaijan and uh, Turkey when they massacred over 5,000 indigenous Armenians in their ancestral homeland of millennia. The film will be screened at the IATSE Local 80, their hall, uh, which is in Burbank. And there's a reception before the screening, and there is a, a Q&A panel uh, afterward. And it's a great, uh, it's a benefit for KPFK. Uh, anyone that wants to uh, go and wants to get more info and buy tickets, just go to kpfk.org um, and uh, you'll see the link for the screening of Motherland. Just click on it. You get all the info and you can purchase tickets uh, and then all, all that good stuff. Yeah, this is an, a very important film for something that's happening as we speak. Vic has put his his heart and so much energy into this film. It's going to be Thursday, April 20th, as Vic said, 
the reception is at 6 p.m., a screening of the film at 7 p.m., and at 9 p.m., a Q&A with Vic himself. It's going to be in Burbank, local hall 80, 2520 West Olive Avenue. $25 tickets. You can check that out on kpfk.org. Uh, $75 for the reception. That will include the film admission. Uh, again, I can't tell you how important this film is. Thank you, um, Ricky. Absolutely. So um, I will be there. Hope to see you there. Uh, come say hello. All right. Coming up is my interview with uh, Norwegian author and activist uh, Sven Eric Rise. Uh, but before that, a reminder that KPFK is in fund drive. So let's raise some money. Yeah, Vic, KPFK, as you know, and as everyone listening knows, is a listener-sponsored radio station. So that means we rely on our listeners to keep this radio station running, to keep uh, our transmitter. We rely on you so much. It's cool. It's cool how much we rely on you. I mean, I know it's a weird thing to say, but I've always found it so badass that our listeners are the ones who keep us going. Just by going to kpfk.org, taking a minute to check out the archives, check out all the shows we have, check out the biographies on our programmers. Uh, I think taking a minute and thinking about what KPFK stands for, and I think a donation would really show us that you understand that. And you can donate by going to kpfk.org. You can donate by credit card, check, or PayPal. Whatever way you want to donate is cool with us. We just really appreciate the donations and we need them. Absolutely, Ricky. KPFK is an institution. It's been around since 1959. It is one of the few media outlets that's commercial free, that is not beholden to corporations, special interests, and grants from questionable sources. So that's why we're able to talk about all that we do talk about openly, unfiltered, and bluntly. We appreciate your support. If you're listening, uh, chances are that you have uh, supported us in the past many times. And so we ask you again to to help us keep the station alive and to thrive. We are volunteers. Ricky and I are volunteers, as are many, many, many uh, KPFK programmers. So the money that we raise goes to really hard operational costs from uh, all the technical stuff to the station and what it costs to run that, even though it's really a skeletal team, as well as uh, what Ricky said, the, the antenna and all of that, the maintenance and the fees and this and that. So it's really, uh, it's just down to the very basics that we need to raise money for, but those basics cost a lot of money. And you know, don't think that you have to call in $1,000 or $500. You can if you like, we'd like that. But every little bit helps they add on, whether it's 10 or 25 or $50 or 100, um, they, they make a big difference. So go to kpfk.org, make a donation. If you want to get a premium as a thank you, there's a list there that you can sort of go through and see what you want to get uh, and uh, request it. Uh, but we do know that most of you donate because you believe in KPFK, you believe in our mission and what we do here, a truly independent, a free speech radio, um, a great alternative to so much of 
what's out there that's controlled, that's filtered. Help us, uh, support us, and uh, go to kpfk.org and uh, check out the premiums if you like. And we thank you in advance for for your generosity through the years and uh, also now. This is Jackson Brown. I've been listening to KPFK since I was a teenager. Then and now, KPFK has been a lifeline to vital information without which we would be at the mercy of corporate media and commercial interests that control it. There are so many programs that I've listened to regularly and so many instances when I've come upon the unexpected, the unknown, and the sublime. Join me and become a member today at kpfk.org. Now more than ever before, it's essential to keep supporting KPFK and the free exchange of ideas and cultural viewpoints that foster our democracy. And the number, which is the only number I know actually by heart, 818-985-5735. KPFK. I came for inspiration. I came looking for truth. The Blunt Post with Vic. Sven Erik Reis is a Norwegian author, activist, and a school principal. His activism centers around Armenia and Artsakh, uh, and creating awareness about the Armenian genocide and Azerbaijan's current genocidal campaign against the indigenous Armenians of Artsakh, formerly known as Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, he has published two books uh, about the subjects of Armenia and Artsakh. First one is called Hayastan, which means Armenia in Armenian. Uh, Hayastan, why I love Armenia. And the second one is called 44 Days in Artsakh. Good morning, Sven. Thank you for being on the Blunt Post with Vic this morning or at night for you in Norway. Yeah, it's seven, seven o'clock. I'm fine. Thank you. And th thank you for having me on your show. It's fantastic. It's entirely my pleasure. I truly mean that. I'm so excited to have, I'm embarrassed first to have not known too much about you. I'd heard about you, but didn't know much. And I'm so excited that uh, I finally have uh, have learned a lot about you, read about you, and I'm just so enthralled and impressed with uh, what you do on top of being very grateful. You know, you're Norwegian, obviously. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, uh, and uh, you know, you have a, a special kinship with, uh, with the Armenians who are going through the hardest periods of our history, if you will. Uh, since the Armenian genocide, during a time when most of the world is either unaware or just apathetic to what's happening right now, since the 2020, well, when Azerbaijan and Turkey invaded the Republic of Artsakh, uh, massacred over 5,000 indigenous Armenians, uh, and the campaigns of violence and hate and disinformation that's followed uh, and up to now, it's been over three months since Azerbaijan has blocked the only road from the Republic of Artsakh to Armenia and to the rest of the world, uh, essentially trying to starve and freeze 120,000 indigenous Armenians um, and ethnically cleanse them from their, from their homeland uh, of millennia, uh, while most of the world watches in deafening silence, including world leaders and agencies who are supposed to uh, intervene in this types of situations, but you've done 
extraordinary things to bring attention to what's happening. But before we go into any details and details of your work, uh, I just want to hear your assessment and your perception of what's happened and what's happening. Right now in, in Artsakh, uh, well, it is very difficult to, to get a full picture of actually what's happening because, um, I mean, they closed the internet. I, I, don't, I I'm, don't have a chance of talking to my friends there because I know a lot of people in Artsakh, including journalists, who are still staying there. Now, during the war two years ago, almost three years ago, uh, I had daily contact with a lot of people, with soldiers, with doctors, with uh, civilians, who actually refused to leave Artsakh during the war, um, who stayed in Stepanakert in the in the bomb rooms, and they they tried to uh, get on as good as possible. But they called me and they sent me messages, and then I could write a book about that and and show at least Norwegians and Swedes what was going on. Uh, this time with a blockade, it's very difficult to get something uh, straight out Armenians in Artsakh. So. Um, mostly I get this from uh, yeah, people who have been there or people from the Red Cross and from Armenians who know like you. Um, and I'm shocked. I've you know, uh, in Europe we're talking about boycotting Russia and Belarus, which I agree totally. We should boycott them on everything. But the thing is that we never boycott Azerbaijan. Now they refuse to let um, Russia and Belarus take part in the Eurovision Song Contest, which is a big event here in Europe. But Azerbaijan, oh yeah, you can participate. Even if we know that you cheat every year in order to get more points than you deserve, that's not the worst thing Azerbaijan does. But I mean, keeping 120,000 Armenians captured, um, not having medicine, not having food, uh, seeing to that that they starve. Now, this is one of the one of the the things that you that can make you call something a genocide. It's one of these levels that actually uh, that actually qualifies for a real genocide, according to genocide scholars. So this goes on. Now we had this genocide from 1915, 1920 um, uh, about that, uh, and Azerbaijan is actually uh, keeping it up. So this is this is really really bad. I talked to a lot of politicians in Norway. And they pee their pants when I say that we should do something about Azerbaijan because Norway has invested a lot of money in Azerbaijan in oil and gas. Uh, and now the European Union is buying gas and oil from Azerbaijan because we are boycotting Russia. And it's all really shitty. Even though, let me just interrupt you, some of it is Russian oil laundered through Azerbaijan. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we do. And we're very happy about it sounds like. But I know politicians in the European Union who actually work very hard to get this on the agenda and try to convince the others to do something. And I think most people agree this is terrible, but their hands are kind of tight. They don't want to do anything. And they can if they want to, they can. Uh, but it's kind of sacrificing 120,000 Armenians again so that they can get their gas and their oil and, and be on good terms with Azerbaijan. Even if we know that, that Ilham Aliyev was actually crowned as the king of dictators some years ago in Time magazine. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a very, very, it's a horrible situation. And um, very little we can do other than donate money to the serious organizations to try to help. Uh, I know that trucks are coming from Armenia, trying to pass uh, the blockade, and they have to they have to give uh, some money under the table, so to speak, to Russian uh, peace activists or peace keepers uh, to get that that food through the corridor. And and I think it's really yeah, it sucks big time, really bad. Yeah, I'm glad you said it. It's 
really people are starting to say that this is a continuation of the Armenian genocide, that the Armenian yeah. genocide didn't really end. It just had a little bit of a pause for a few decades because when you look at uh, Turkey and Erdogan and his regime supporting Azerbaijan and carrying this out, you know, it's uh, it's just uh, another, you know, part of their pan-Turkic ambition uh, of ethnic cleansing and uh, connecting not only Azerbaijan and Turkey, but all of the Turkic nations. It's really surreal, and I don't use that word lightly or frivolously. It's surreal to to see this happen in 2023, and most of the world is just... Uh, sort of either pretends they don't see it or make excuses as to why that can, they can't do uh, anything about it. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Norwegian author and activist Sven-Erik Reis. Let's go back to pre-invasion uh, of Artsakh. Your first book, uh, you know, which is Hayastan, why I love Armenia. And for those that don't know, Ayastan is means Armenia in Armenian. And you wrote that in 2018. I did, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that and this inspiration. Yeah, well, what happened was that I had uh, read about the Armenian genocide for ages. I'd been studying it. I went to Princeton to learn. I went to Amsterdam to uh, different universities where they have genocide experts to listen to what they had to say, their lectures, and I was really interested because it all started off when my dad gave me the book, uh, 40 Days of Musadag, and now I was only 16 at the time, and it kind of triggered something that I thought, this I, I, I need to know everything about this genocide, uh, especially because the Turks deny it. I thought that was just horrendous, and I thought, how can they do that? And uh, so um, when I started studying, I went to these different universities, studied history, just to learn more about the genocide. But at the time, as Armenia was part of the Soviet Union, there was no way to go there. So all I knew actually in 2015 about Armenia was the genocide. And then uh, some Armenians in Norway, because we have about a thousand Armenians living here, uh, they said that, okay, please remember it's the 100th commemoration day. Uh, 2015, 24th of April, are you sure you don't want to go? And I thought, okay, this is my chance. I will go and I want to do it alone. And my boyfriend, my family, my friends wanted to join, but I said, I, I really need this experience on my own. Because now I said that I'm uh, so into Armenia and the Armenian genocide and the history, and I need, really need to check out what this is. I need to know about the people, the language, the food, everything. Uh, so I need to do it on my own. And I was really, I thought it's going to be very embarrassing now if I hate Armenia, if I don't like it at all, since I've been talking so much about it. But it was, I mean, it, it actually surpassed any any thought that I, you know, any idea of this fantastic country. It was, it was, it can't be described. I mean, this guy, I, I called to, to book a, a hotel room and I thought, okay, this is my first international call to somebody in Armenia. I had learned 100 words and I used them as, as good as I could. Uh, of course, that meant that saying some words than switching to English, but it went fine. And they gave me the goddamn suite in, in um, Anya Plaza Hotel because there was that. nothing else left. Everybody else was going to Armenia during the 24th or during that week. And uh, he picked me up at the airport. He served me uh, Armenian um, uh, bubbles, you know, champagne 
from Carlos Winery. And, you know, I had a blast. Uh, I, I stayed for four weeks, even in the middle of all this, a, a Turkish friend. I, I had a Turkish friend when I was little called Ergin. Uh, we went to school together and I picked up Turkish words and we had a lot of fun. And when he heard about me going to Armenia, he called me and said, are you crazy? Armenians lie about everything. This is terrible. You can't do this. And I said, well, uh, we are blood brothers. We exchanged blood at, at six years old. He moved back to Turkey. And I said, well, if you can't understand what this is, and if you don't understand that you really have to read the other history, the real history, instead of, of, of uh, Turkish lies that you learn in school, I can't be your friend. And I said, can we just agree to disagree? I said, I can't agree to disagree with somebody denying a genocide. It's just like denying the Holocaust. Nobody does that. Well, some people do, but it's not the way that a whole country does it. And um, I hung up and I was being actually like a, a little girl because I he kept calling and I, I didn't pick up. I No, no, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. And then the guy appeared. He'd taken the bus via Georgia to Armenia to Yerevan the day before oh, wow. the 20th. Yeah. He stood there and he had given a message in the hotel. Your brother is waiting for you at Siskernagabert. And I thought, okay, my brother in Norway. Yeah, what is he doing here? So I went up there and there he was. And together we actually figured out everything, went to the Armenian University, American Armenian University, talked to a lot of people, and he turned, you know, he was like, of course, there was a genocide. Wow. And he loved wow. it. He loved Armenia. We had we had a blast, you know. We even went to Nakichevan and, and we were taken by by Armenian soldiers, actually, who come and came and picked us up. Because we thought the moment we entered Artsakh, we can never go to Azerbaijan. Let's go now. We have the chance. Right, so we right. had mopeds. We drove on this road in Yerask. There is a road directly into Azerbaijan. No military that we could see. And we drove there. And two Armenian soldiers came and picked us up. And they were really furious. They said, you want to get killed? Are you totally crazy? And I said, well, we just wanted to see Nakichevan. It's Armenian, isn't it? Well, it's supposed to be, he said. And then I kept on you know, repeating all these funny words in Armenian that I knew. And he said, fine, you can go on, but never enter Azerbaijan again. So we did so many nice things, um, talked to many people. And this guy, of course, he, he I was popular in Armenia. He was even more popular coming from Turkey, excusing his country for having done this. So, um, yeah, it was it was just fantastic. And when I come ho came home, uh, this travel agency called me and said that you should take groups to Armenia because you could teach people a lot. And I said, well, actually, I want to keep Armenia to myself. But if you let me make the whole program, history, genocide, denial, wineries, okay, I will do it. So I took, um, during the last eight years, I think between 12 and 15 groups wow, of Norwegians. Wow. Yeah, it's been fantastic because they all love it. When they, when they come back from Armenia, they're actually Armenian activists. They, I mean, we have so much contact. They talk to everybody. And, uh, well, the funny story is that they fell in love with Armenian wine because that wine is really special, and everybody knows that. But in Norway, we have this system where you have to go to liquor stores uh, that are run by the state, and they have a certain number of wines from certain countries, but none, not one from Armenia. Right. So I told right. them, let's all go and ask for Armenian wine and see what happens. So we all went. And I kept calling every day to this customer service asking for Armenian wine. But the point is, there's the same guy there. He picks up the phone all the time. So I had to change my accent, my dialect oh my to God. make him understand. Yeah. 
And now today we have three brands of Armenian wine. It's not enough, but at least wow. we have that. So, so uh, yeah, lots of funny things happened, actually. You're, you're a one-man revolution. <laughs> so significant. I mean, I know I'm just, I'm saying it lightly, but I don't take it lightly. I think what you're, what you've done, what you're doing is just extraordinary. It gives me a lot back. You know, my best friends are in Armenia. One of my, my, the very best friend that I met the first time I was there, his name is Tigran. He calls me Tigran too, because we are two Tigranes. And, um, and uh, he, he took me around everywhere. I was with his family. And then he went to war in Artsakh. And he was actually taken as a prisoner of war there. And uh, he was molested. You know, they, they, um, he lost uh, three teeth. His ankle was broken. There was a lot of things going on. And actually, my Turkish friend managed to get the guy out because he went to Azerbaijan and he did something. Um, I, can't, I can't reveal it because Azeris would prob probably be after him. But actually, I think he saved my friend Tigran from uh, being killed, or at least uh, having to stay oh. there for a long time. And and you're you have an Armenian name, which is Tigran, right? Yeah, Tigran, yeah, Tigran Van, because I love this uh, lake called Van. The Van now Van I don't, I don't. Maybe you won't believe me, but Tigran is is my well one of two favorite Armenian names of all time for for boys, a Tigran and Aram. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's such a since small world that's fantastic um, so i love i love um uh, i love your book hayastan why i love armenia and then in 2020 after the invasion of artsakh you wrote 44 days in artsakh and for those that don't know artsakh uh formerly known as nagorno karabakh which is its sort of uh soviet relic name that was given to it by the soviet union half Russian, half Turkic, but uh, the proper name is Artsakh. It's been Artsakh since 9th century BCE. So you wrote the book, uh, 44 Days in Artsakh. Yeah, and that was, uh, I wasn't planning on writing another book because this first one is actually about everything I did in Armenia, all my contacts, uh, the, the travel, lots of funny situations. And also a part that is really academic about the genocide, where I was really, really careful in in um, uh, showing all my sources and everything dates and you know what every person that I talked to had said uh, and what I've read. And I even used two Turks as the best sources, and that's um, Tamer Akcham. You probably know him. And there's another one, Umir Ungur, in in the Netherlands. Who are Turks and who had had access to the files in Turkey in Turkish before some of them were burned and to actually tell the truth about the genocide and they keep um, actually they they are investigating they're still investigating interestingly enough now there's more investigations going on about the armenian genocide than the holocaust because the armenian genocide is not yet recognized by the ones who did it so that's interesting but anyway i made this uh, within the book you know there is a thing about that and also a bit about the Artsakhian history but the rest is actually all the things I did in Armenia and how fantastic everything is and the Artsakh book that was actually because a friend in Armenia called me and said please write something I wrote articles in in all the papers in Norway and um, then I thought well why the hell I have a week off from my my work I'll start writing because they all called me. I got all the information, you know, straight from uh, what was going on. Even an, uh, a doctor from LA called, uh, 
Antablian, I don't remember his first name, but he went voluntarily and he worked with soldiers and he posted things on Facebook. And I said, can I use this? Because it was just fantastic. And he said, yeah, use whatever you want. So he's in the book and other uh, Atsakians and other friends, uh, soldiers, uh, grandmothers, mothers. Uh, I had this campaign where I managed to raise $10,000 and I sent to uh, mothers who gave birth wow. during the war. I mean, people who had lost the father or uh, who had had to flee from uh, from Stepanakert. And I had a contact there that actually handed them money and diapers and, and things they needed. And uh, I saw that there was a lot of uh, people engaged in it here in Norway because $10,000 is a lot of money for me just on Facebook, you know? So, uh, so That's incredible, uh, truly. Once again, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jurami, uh, here in the studio with uh, my producer, Ricky Herrera. And I've been interviewing uh, Norwegian author and activist Sven Erik Reis. Um, but let's just take a break because we are in a fun drive and we need to raise some funds for the station uh, to ask you to support us, to ask you to stand for free speech radio for uh, this uh, great institution called KPFK that's been around since 1959. It's listener-sponsored, commercial-free. So we ask you to um, go to kpfk.org, uh, make a donation, help us during this fund drive so that we can continue to bring you uh, the, the kind of programming that you're accustomed to. Your interview with Sven is exactly the reason why we need to keep this station running. A simple donation, a large donation, it doesn't matter. What KPFK needs is to keep going, to keep going forward, because this institution, as you said, has been around since 1959. And we are a listener-sponsored radio station, and we rely on our listeners to keep going. That's that's the bottom line. We don't want to do this, but it, it's a necessary. We're listener-sponsored radio. Thank you, kpfk.org. You can make a donation there. Check out some of the premiums if you like. But what we would like to think is the gift is KPFK. So please, kpfk.org, credit card, PayPal. Absolutely. We thank you in advance for your donation. And also thank you for the years of support that you've shown us. Uh, you have uh, made it possible for us to bring you this kind of programming year after year. And we want to continue this tradition, continue the tradition of not accepting commercials, not accepting grants from, uh, you know, questionable corporations so that we can say what we want to say. We can, we can have free speech. So help us out. Go to kpfk.org and uh, make a donation. Let's get back to your interview with Sven. And I think both of your books are available on Amazon, correct? First one. Uh, is or you they can send me they can find me on facebook and send me a, a question and i can i can manage to send some books over uh they had it in this april bookstore i think they still do yeah avril in in glendale in yeah LA. it's in glendale yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah they sold it there so. you know just really quick there are a few things i, I just want to sort of mention you know there have been during the genocide there were at least two that we know very high profile norwegians who helped many, many Armenians uh, survive and escape. One of them was uh, uh, Nansen, I believe, who was uh, instrumental in documenting and 
helping Armenians survive and escape, um, getting them visas to Norway. And uh, the next one was um, Biari. Yes, Bjorn. Bjorn, yeah. Bjorn, Bjorn, who was yeah, yeah. Um, helped a lot of orphans, Armenian yeah. orphans, uh, yeah. during and after the genocide. So you're kind of uh, carrying the legacy of Norwegian philanthropists, uh, activists, allies who um, you know who are are really friends of the Armenians, and and you know you're you're definitely an honorary Armenian. I'm I'm so. Uh, I'm just so enthralled. And, you know, I, I just have to say this because normally, normally it may not be relevant or it may not seem relevant, but you're also a gay man who is, you know, happily partnered and all of that. And it's so important for people to know what intersectionality means, what shared trauma means, why those of us that are LGBTQ, like myself, why when something we you know, we we see people suffer around the world for whatever reason. There's a certain wound that sort of activates it. It's refreshed. You know, it may not be what we exactly experienced in our lives, but it all comes down to uh, freedom. Uh, it comes down to human rights, uh, right to self-determination. And so I think that's where the uh, similarities come in a lot of ways. My film, Motherland, is about the invasion of Artsakh, but at the very core of it, it's really about, anyone can can relate to it, because it's about freedom, self-determination, human rights. Exactly, yeah, yeah. You know, a struggle that LGBTQ people have known uh, far too well uh, throughout the world, and we continue to uh, struggle with it, and are challenged with it in varying degrees, depending on where you live. So I just, I just think there, there's another layer of of your story that's so interesting, and so apropos and important to uh, to to include, if you will. Yeah, it is, and and I was well. My first book, I actually come out to all Armenians because I thought I'm not gonna deny that because things happened in Armenia. Uh, that had a lot of connection to me being gay. I met gay people there, very nice ones, I must say, and um, I heard about their destinies, some of them. Others were happy, but, you know, it was both ways. And um, I was going to sell the book in Etchmiadzin, in the church. And they said, before we sell this book, we need uh, that one of these um, people read it first to see what it contains. And I thought they're never going to sell that book, but they're selling it and they're selling it like hell. Lots of people go. Are you serious? I'm serious. I they're love selling it. the book. And I was there last year and I thought, well, they probably hit it on the shelves. No, it was easily found. And I asked the women, I said, I wrote this book. Could you please have this on your uh, cashier thing so that more people buy it? Of course. And they put it out there. So whether they skipped that chapter or whether they thought it was okay, I don't know. But of course, the book is not about all gay. But there is a chapter there saying that I'm worried about gays in Armenia because some of the people I met were really depressed. And the, the only thing they wanted to do was to get out of Armenia. And I'm against that. I don't want people to leave Armenia. So because I think the most important thing is that the strong people, the well-educated people actually stay in Armenia and do the job for the country instead of going to 
I don't know, France or Norway or wherever and disappear. So uh, I, I, I do anything to make people have good lives. Uh, I love Ireland. it. You just yeah. you don't cease to amaze me. Uh, I can't wait to go to Egmiati next time in, I'm in Armenia and uh, ask them for your book. <laughs> That's yeah. <laughs> just incredible. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Norwegian author and activist Sven Erik Reis. Well, you know, I, this, I, I, can, I feel like I can talk to you for hours and hours. I'm, I'm just uh, thoroughly amazed. Um, those listening, uh, Sven's two books are Ayastan, why I Love Armenia, 2018, and 44 Days in Artsakh. Uh, you can Google it and uh, go to... I know that that Hayastan, Why I Love Armenia, is on Amazon for sure. The oh, other okay, one, um, 44 Days in Artsakh, could also be there, so just sort of look for it. Sven, do you want to add anything before we go? I just want to say that I think all Armenians and Armenians by hearts, or what I call myself... Armenian by choice, we have to stand together now and we have to do everything we can to save Artsakh. It's important. So I'll do everything from from uh, Norway. Even the, the ambassador in Stockholm from Armenia, I asked him, do you think there is a chance I could get an Armenian passport? And he said, yeah, you definitely qualify. But then we discussed it and I thought there is no point in me having an Armenian passport because the moment I have that, Turkey and other areas are going to say, well, he's just, he's an Armenian. So he's just talking about his own people. I mean, there is more credibility actually that I'm 100% Norwegian and I I fight for Artsakh and Armenia. So we'll leave that passport thing for now. But uh, of course, I think everybody should contribute the best way they can, uh, raise awareness, talk about it, write about it. Uh, I think you probably already do over there in Glendale and in California. But uh, this is this is very, very important. Amen. And if Kim Kardashian is listening, please keep donating because that's very important. <laughs> yes, Kim, what's up with that? Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I I think in in every which way, and I truly mean this, you've you've done more for uh, Armenia Armenians than Kim could. And and no no disrespect to Kim, she's she's done a lot too, and I and I love and adore her. But you've mobilized thousands of people and you've your contribution is like it's really priceless and there's no way to even um right size it so i'm thankful uh and grateful and uh can't to wait to chat with you again soon yeah we'll talk later and thank you so much and thank you so much for your nice words i mean i get so much out of this so it, i mean this is also giving me a very exciting life being able to do this talk to politicians, hold lectures around Norway and in other countries. It's just fantastic. And all the gratefulness I get from every Armenian is uh, is a gift. It is a gift. And that I talk to Armenians everywhere. Jerusalem now, I met 20 Armenians just on the street because I have this flag Yeah, that you don't see, but I have a T-shirt with an Armenian flag yeah. and an Artsakh yeah. flag. And every Armenian would stop me, you know, and it's like, Barev, Duhayes. Uh, uh, and and we start talking a little bit, and uh, yeah, I, I get friends. You know, that's um, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Sven. Well, that was my interview with Sven Eric Rise, a truly inspiring person. Uh, not only he's a school principal, who's also an author and an activist, but you know, he's devoted his his career and many 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 years 
to speak for those who don't have a voice, those that are being ignored, which is currently um, Armenians of Artsakh who are under siege by Azerbaijan. And there aren't that many people who care to talk about it, report about it, write about it, especially uh, non-Armenians. So he's truly an inspiration, a true honorary Armenian. And I'm very pleased that I got to chat with him. Uh, thank you, Svan, for your time, uh, for your idealism, uh, for your relentless uh, activism. I'm, I'm truly grateful. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible. And KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami, at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic.